The title of today's message is Time for Self-Examination. And this is going to be challenging because we never really want to examine ourselves. Um, I know physically, a lot of times, uh, many of us will sort of will avoid going to a doctor. We don't want to hear the bad news. Um, a lot of us will just sort of ignore uh, physical things that are going on in our bodies and just say, no, I'm okay. Uh, my wife is looking at me because she's been telling me to go back to the doctor to, to check on this little tickle that I have in my throat for a while. And I've been saying, eh, I'm all right. It's okay. We don't really want to do that. A lot of times, our, even in our cars, our check engine light will go on and we'll get a piece of black tape and put it over the check, right? We, we don't want to know. We don't want to find out how much it's going to cost, what, it, what it's going to be, what it's going to entail. What, what, not only the, the issue... But the cure, sometimes the cure is just as bad as the issue at hand. You know, uh, you know uh, there are so many different examples of that. Our main scripture today is going to be in Lamentations. Lamentations. <clears throat> Chapter 3, 40 to 41. And I'll read that and then we're going to sort of jump around a little bit. It says in Lamentations 3.40, Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. So a challenge for us today. Search out and examine our ways. Where are we in our relationship with the Lord? Now, if you're a Christian... What this is telling us is, what is our walk like? Examine our ways means to take a real deep look at our life and, and sort of and give, a, give a, a scorecard for where we're at with our relationship with the Lord. Are we a healthy Christian? And if we're not a Christian this morning here, what this is going to do, this, this examination of our lives is going to put into real perspective our need for that relationship with the Lord. You know, a lot of people make a claim to be a Christian, make a claim to have a relationship with God, but there needs to be evidence of that. There needs to be proof of that. And when the scripture says to search out and examine our ways, we need to find out what that means. Now, many of you might know what an APGAR, APGAR test is. How many know what an APGAR test is? Okay, an APGAR test is the, as humans, it's the first test that we get. It's in the delivery room when the doctors or the nurses attending sort of test out various things that are going on in the newborn's physical life to determine whether everything is going well. The APGAR test was developed in 1952 by an anesthesiologist named Virginia APGAR. I bet a lot of you didn't know that. But you may have 
heard it referred to as an acronym for appearance, pulse, grimace, activity, and respiration. That's what the APGAR test studies. And it's usually given to a baby twice. Once, one minute after birth, and then again, five minutes after birth. And if there are concerns about the, the newborn's health, it might be given again ten minutes later. And what this test does, it sort of it, it, it checks you out at the beginning, right after you come out, and then it checks you out again to see if things have changed or improved or declined, gotten worse, gotten better. And there are various things that this test checks for. The acronym APGAR stands for A, appearance, or your skin coloration. P, pulse, your heart rate. G, the grimace response, or your reflex irritability. A, activity, or your muscle tone. And R, respiration, your breathing rate, and your effort. That's your physical APGAR test. Now, as human beings, we're also called to do a spiritual APGAR test. Where our heart is with the Lord. What are the various things that we need to look at in our lives that will determine what our walk is like or whether we're even a believer or not? So based on that acronym... A-P-G-A-R, I'm going to give us five ways to look at ourselves, to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to find out where we're at. And although it's not a real complete list, there are a lot of different things that we should be looking for throughout our lives. This is a really good way of determining where we're at. So number one, Howie, could you put up uh, the first... There it is. I don't know if you guys can see that. Appearance, known as skin coloration. In the newborn, physically speaking, this is the outward appearance. At, at one minute into the new life, they check it out to see. And they give one of three different scores. A score of zero will be blue or pale all over. A score of one would be blue at the extremities and the body is pink. And a score of two would be the body and the extremities all pink. That would be a good, healthy baby. Now, of course, if it starts off at a zero or one, it could easily get better as the minutes go by. So, the physical appearance. But now, as a Christian, we're told that Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So what, how does this appearance relate to us as Christians? See, it's not about the outward form, but it's about our character, our inward character, our, our disposition. If we're truly saved, our disposition will reflect that. So with the spiritual APGAR test for our appearance, I've broken down a little further into five different character traits. First one, based on Mark eleven twenty-five. 
a forgiving character. A, f- a forgiving character. It says in Mark eleven twenty five, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Imagine coming before the Lord daily in prayer and before doing anything, before lifting up your petitions to the Lord, before prayers for yourself, saying, God, do I have anything against anyone that I'm holding in my heart? Is there bitterness against someone? Is there unforgiveness against someone? Now, certainly, if you're married, you know that this is a test that we can do daily with our spouses. But in any relationship, are we looking into our hearts to see if there's unforgiveness? And if there is, before we do anything else, forgive that person. Forgive that person. Because, listen, we've been forgiven much, amen? Those little indiscretions, those small infractions that another person may have against us, in comparison to what we've been forgiven, that's a simple thing. How could we hold such a small thing against somebody when God has forgiven us so much? So, the first test of our character, the first test of our spiritual appearance is that of having a forgiving nature. And then the second one, humility. Humility. Based on Colossians 3.12, it says in that verse, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Humility. Humility is a very attractive character trait. Arrogance or self-importance is kind of ugly. Humility, though, is something that we need to put on, the Apostle Paul says here. He says, put on these things. It's not something that comes naturally. It's something that we need to do on a daily basis, along with many other things that the Bible says that we need to put on. But humility, humility is sort of that that character trait that, that oversees all others as far as how we relate to other people. Do we think of them more highly than ourselves? Or do we put ourselves up on a pedestal before others? That's arrogance. That's pride. That's self-centeredness. That's a character trait that's, that's not in, in, in what God wants for us as far as our spiritual appearance as we go through this test, as we examine ourselves. Now, as you examine yourself, as I examine myself, the pride that may be in us, we may try to suppress. We may not want to recognize it. We may not want to admit that we're being prideful or arrogant. 
So it's one of those things where God needs to show us. And really, many times, if we're in good, solid relationships with other believers, someone else can even show us that. Someone who you've given a permission to sort of test you, give, tell you when you're, when you're going off track. So there are many different ways that we can see these things in our lives. So humility, it removes our arrogance and pride and allows us to see others more important than, our, than ourselves. Now the third part of our appearance, our character, is dependability. Dependability. And this is based on 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. It says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Are you a faithful steward of what God has given you and are you using those things? To serve others. It says, let, us, let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries. You know, as believers, we've given a great mystery in the gospel. We need to be faithful stewards of that. We need to serve with joy. We need to be dependable in our service even if that means personal sacrifice on our part. And many times, serving others will mean putting our own needs, desires, and wishes aside. Sacrificing those things for others. That we may be counted faithful and dependable in our commitments. And my old pastor, Luis, would say... The C word, commitment. Because it's, for many of us, it's, it's, it's a dirty word. Are you committed? Are you dependable? Can you be counted on? When you say you're going to be somewhere, will you be there? Is your yes, yes, is your no, no? Are you faithful in those things? That's what dependability means. That's what looking and examining our character, our appearance not our outward, but our inward appearance. That's what it looks like. And then moving on, that next aspect of our appearance that we need to examine ourselves is contentment. Contentment. How many of us go through life grumbling and complaining about our situation? How many of us go through our lives just wishing that something was different because we're so discontent with the situation that we're in, that we find ourselves in. Philippians 4, 11 and 12. Not that I speak in regard to need, Paul writes, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, none of us, none of us will probably be in such need as the Apostle Paul was. 
how many things that he went through, and yet he learned to be content, content in, in being shipwrecked, content in being beaten, content in being put in jail, content in being hungry, content in those things. How many times if we miss a meal, are we discontent? Are we grumbling and complaining? Others need to see that. That's what our appearance needs to look like to others. They need to see contentment in all circumstances. See, God allows us to be in certain circumstances or conditions for a purpose that's greater than we can even imagine. And we need to be able to rejoice in that. Our blessedness comes from whatever God has given us, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, and especially not in those shallow, temporal, and material things where we normally put our contentment. Our contentment many times is put into those temporal, material, carnal things, the things we can touch the things we can see, our jobs, our financial situation. How big of a house do we have? What kind of car we own? How many toys we have? Many times our contentment is stored up in those temporal things. And our contentment needs to be in the Lord and in whatever He's given us, whatever situation we find ourselves in. And that will show others that we trust in God. That our inward appearance, our character, is that that says, God, whatever you've given me, I'm, con I'm content with. And I'm blessed by it. Our relationships sometimes can cause us discontent. Maybe we're in a relationship that that we are discontented with. Or maybe we're searching for that person and we're discontent in where we are. God has you where you are for a reason. Rejoice in that. Be blessed by that. Now the last, the fifth check of our inward character, that appearance, is availability. Availability. In Mark 1, 16 through 18, it says, And he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Immediately. Are we available for the things of God? Or are we so caught up in what we're doing, in, in everything other than godly things? Are we so, are we, is our schedule so filled that when God's calling us or an opportunity comes before us that we can't, we're not available? 
Where are our priorities in that? Do we make ourselves available for the things of God? Or are our priorities such that worldly things take precedence? Now, we all have to work. We all have family life. We all have, certainly we have extracurricular activities, things that, you know, that sort of give us pleasure, whatever those things are. And those things are all good. They're not bad in and of themselves. But where are they in our list of priorities? Are we available? Can we drop things that aren't really that important to be about our Father's business as Jesus was? And as He called these disciples, in the middle of their livelihood, they dropped what they were doing to follow Jesus. Could we do that? Availability may mean that we set aside our own plans, our own schedules, our own desires in order to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So those five things test our appearance. The A part of that APGAR test. Now we're going to move on to the second aspect of that test, the P which, is, which stands for pulse, the pulse rate. In a newborn, this number should be around 100 beats per minute. They're, it's beating a lot faster. In, a, in an adult, it's around 72 beats per minute. If you're really calm, it could be around 60 beats per minute. That's normal. In our relationship with God, in our spiritual APGAR test, in this pulse rate, is our heart after the things of God? Is our heart after God's own heart? That's what this part of the test is going to look like. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus is in the Sermon of the Mount giving instructions to his disciples and he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What are our hearts hungering after? As we examine ourselves, as we test ourselves, are we hungering after the things of the Lord? Are, are we hungering after righteousness? Do we desire to live a holy and righteous life? Do we desire to walk in a world that's, that's de dead and dying, that's dark? Are we, do we want to be lights in a dark place? Is our heart unfulfilled by the things of the world? It should be. Because it should be filled with the things of God. Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Where is your hunger? And your thirst, if it's for the things of God, He will be faithful to fill that in your life. He says He's the bread of life. Like the woman at the well, when Jesus was with her, He said, you will thirst again if you drink from this water, but if you drink from Me, you will never thirst again. 
Are we fulfilled by Jesus in our lives? Or do we keep trying to grab more and more things from this world to fill us up? An examination that we need to do. Our heart should beat for the things of God. Our pulse rate should be kicking into high gear, excited about the things of God, excited about serving, excited about a Bible study, about this should be, this is a place where we should come that gets us excited. Our pulse rate should be, should be rapid because we have a, a vibrant, growing, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching place to come and, and just be energized by the things of the Lord. You guys are awfully quiet. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Psalm 84, verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, Lord, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Where is your heart? Back to that pulse rate. When our heart is set on pilgrimage, the, the, word, the Hebrew word for pilgrimage is highway. Mesilla. Mesilla in the Hebrew. It's actually a public road. Where is your heart? Is it set on God's highway? Are we on that right path? With the Lord. It says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Are we walking this world hand in hand, side by side with Jesus Christ? Are we on that path of righteousness? That's what it means. Literally, are we on the right path? And then one more Psalm 119, verse 2. How, are you keeping up, Howie? Thank you. <laughs> I'm really challenging him today. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. The whole heart. We are called to seek the Lord with our entire being, with everything that we have. Keep his law. Desire to live righteously and seek him. We sang today, as we seek your face, are you seeking the Lord with your whole heart? And then the third step in this APGAR, this spiritual APGAR test, grimace, G, grimace. Now many of us think of grimace, we, just, we make that face maybe. Reflex irritability. A score of zero for a newborn would be no response to stimulation. No response to stimulation. A score of one would be a grimace or a feeble cry when stimulated. And a score of two would be to cry or pull away when stimulated. So this is known as reflex irritability. What do we do under trials? Is there no response under trials as far as seeking the Lord? Do we become irritable if we're under too much pressure? It says in Hebrews 3, 8 through 12, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion 
in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Imagine testing God. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, verse 10, and and said they always go astray in their heart. Again, it's a heart test. And they have not known my ways. I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. Again, a heart test in departing from the living God. It's always about our response to what's going on in our lives. It's always about our response. How are we responding to the things that God is allowing in our lives? Are we becoming rebellious like the children in the will of Israel in the wilderness? They distrusted God. Because of what they were going through, they thought God had forsaken them. They even said to Moses, why have you brought us out here into the wilderness to die? Because they were going through such trials. What is your response? What is our response to those things, the pressure that we have in our, in our lives, that God allows in our lives? Are we allowing our hearts to become evil in those things, like the, like the children of Israel in response? Adversity, response to adversity is a test that we need to be doing, a self-examination in our hearts, in our lives. And then the fourth test, this fourth section of the spiritual APGAR test, activity, activity. Muscle tone. A score of zero is no muscle tone. A score of one is some flexion, flexion, and a score of two is flexed arms and legs that resist extension. In other words, you push against it, they push back. The little baby will give you a little bit of resistance. That's good. Activity. Activity. Are we just sort of, are we just sort of dead weight in this world? Are we active in the things of the Lord? What are we doing for the Lord? Now, this is not a test of our salvation because we cannot do enough to be saved. That's not what this this test is for. This is a test to see what are you doing because of what God has done for you? What is your now response to God's grace, God's mercy, God's love toward you. He sent His Son to save you. You responded to that love. You responded to that invitation. What are you now doing? Are you active? Or are you just sort of floating along? In, in, if you ever go to the water park, you go to the lazy river. You know, you're just in one of those inner tubes and you're just floating along. You don't have to do anything. The waves sort of take you. takes you this way and that way. What is your activity level for the things of God? Are we seeking ways to serve others and the body of Christ? Or do we put all our efforts into our own pleasures, our own desires? Howie, can you put up James 1, 
Be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Doers, not hearers. You deceive yourself. That self-exam can have a false positive, so to speak. You deceive yourself by just hearing the word, hearing the word, hearing the word, and then not doing, not doing. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. What kind of a self-exam are you doing that you would look at yourself and then walk away and forget? Or does it affect you? Does it affect what you're doing? In verse 25, it says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. You see the difference? We look in the mirror, we see ourselves, we forget, we walk away and forget. But we look into the mirror of the Word of God. We look into the Bible. And we do those things that Jesus Christ commands us to do. He's not a forgetful hearer but he's a doer of the work. And this one will be blessed in all that he does. Do you want to be blessed by the Lord? Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Does our activity level give evidence? We spoke at the very, very beginning. If you're a believer, there should be evidence. Does your activity level give evidence as to our dedication to the Lord? Are we exercising our spiritual muscles in some way. You know, a lot of us don't like to go to the gym, don't like to exercise. I'm very fortunate. I, I, I walk 10 miles a day, so I get a lot of cardio. But I could use a little upper body, the doctor says. To, as we get older, we sort of lose muscle mass. What is our activity level? Spiritually. Spiritually. Are we exercising our spiritual muscles? Are we letting them go limp? Are we losing that muscle mass? And again, we don't work in order to be saved. We work as a result of our salvation, as, as, a, as a sign of our gratitude. And certainly in a, in a group, in, in, a, in a body of Christ, in a fellowship like this, we serve one another to show our love for one another. So again, and we need to be careful about the work aspect of it. We are to do those things that God has commanded of us. But there's a motivation. There's a motivation that's pure. And then there's a motivation that's self-centered. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, 
he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. So, very clearly, Paul is speaking here not of salvation by works, because you, you can still be saved and have all your works be burned up in the fire, because they were, they were not for the Lord. Your motivation was wrong. We're called to build our lives upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, His finished work at the cross. Once we realize what He's done for us, now we're motivated. Now our motivation is out of gratitude. And our motives are tested by God to see if they're pure. It's not the work itself that's tested. Be very careful. It's not the actual work that's being tested, although everything we do in word or deed, we should all do, we should do to the glory of God. We should want to do things well for Jesus Christ. But it's not the work that's tested, but the motives behind our work. If our motives are pure, Paul writes, we'll be rewarded. If we build on that foundation of what Jesus Christ has already done, and then our works are built on top of that, and they're for pure motives, they're for serving others, they're for, they're for lifting up the body, they're for edifying, they're for building up, we'll be rewarded in those things. If our motives are for any other reason, receiving honor from men, for example, or just for our own self-satisfaction, it won't be credited to our account. We may, we may still be saved, but we won't receive the honor from the Lord that He desires to give us because our motives weren't pure. And now, the last self-examination. Is anyone feeling a little... <laughs> Examine yourselves. Examine ourselves. The last self-examination in our spiritual APGAR test, respiration. Respiration. That's the breathing part. And obviously in a newborn, that's one of the first things they really want to see. A score of zero is absent. No, no breathing, no res respiration. We're in a very dire situation at that point. A score of one is weak or irregular breathing, gasping for air. And a score of two, I love the description they give here, strong, lusty cry. That's, that's good. That's good for a newborn. For us, for our spiritual APGAR test, our respiration, what's our breathing rate? What's our effort how much do we put into the relationship with the Lord? Do we find it too much trouble to put the Lord into a priority position in our lives or the priority position? Do we put too much effort into our jobs, our families, extracurricular activities that we have no more strength left for the things of God? That we're, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we're sort of gasping for air. When it comes to our relationship with God, it's sort of weak. 
It's irregular. Maybe once, maybe one week we'll be really good with our devotions and then maybe for a couple of weeks we'll, we'll be off. It, it'll be irregular, that relationship. The respiration, our breathing effort should be regular, should be strong in our relationship with God. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Are we sowing to the things of the world? Are we sowing to the things of the Lord? We need to be strong in those things that we may reap godly things in our lives. We need to be sowing into the, the things of the Lord in our personal lives, in our, in our personal relationship with God, and as a body, we need to be sowing into those things that we may be reaping heavenly things, spiritual things. Our challenge is not to get so caught up in the carnal, fleshly activities so that the things of God are sort of put on the back burner. We don't have any strength left. We're weak, we're irregular for the things of the Lord because we've put all of our efforts, we've sown to the wind, we're reaping the whirlwind. We've sown to the world, nothing left for God. If we put our time into worldly pursuits, we will reap worldly fruit. If we put our efforts into godly pursuits, we will reap godly fruit. It's our choice. But it all comes with that self-examination, with that heart test. Where is our heart? Second Corinthians thirteen five, Paul writes, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. Is Jesus Christ in you? Look into your hearts. We need to all examine ourselves, Paul writes, to see whether you're in the faith. Are you a child of God? You know, when we're, when we're born, that, that, that physical test that the doctors or the nurses give, they give us that test. They test it against a standard. They have a, a normal they have a normal and abnormal chart. They test, everything gets tested against that. When you bring your car into the shop and they put it on the computer, it runs those tests and it says, well, this is where it should be. When, 
this is where it is, this is where it should be. When you get your blood work done, you get that blood test, you get all the results back. You always see, well, here's your, here's your number, here's your cholesterol, 300. Here's where it should be. You know, it's tested against the standard. Physically. So what's the standard for us as Christians? What's the standard for our, for our spiritual APGAR test? The standard is the Word of God. The standard is the Word of God. Test yourselves against that. But just like any test, when they draw that blood, it's, it sort of it stings for a second. You know, just like any test that we have, it's, it's, it could be painful. Hebrews 4.12. See, because we're testing ourselves against the standard spiritually, right? So we test ourselves against the Word of God. So what does it say in Hebrew 4.12? For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does it do? It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Like that needle that goes in to, to draw your blood, it pierces. The Word of God, the, the, the two-edged sword pierces. And it goes in deep. As we examine ourselves against the standard, which is the Word of God, sometimes that can be painful. Because why? It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It goes into our heart. The sword of the Spirit goes deep into us. It convicts us of our sin. It convicts us when we're off track. And sometimes that is painful. Have you all felt that? Have you felt that pain sometimes when you, when you ask the Lord to show you? Sometimes God tests us to see if we're faithful. But we need to also be testing ourselves to see if we are in the faith. Test ourselves against the Word of God. Is Jesus truly the Lord of our lives? See, if we... If we if we test ourselves, if we examine ourselves against the Word of God, we'll get those answers. God will reveal that to us. He's faithful to do that. And our outward actions will reveal our inward character. Where's our heart? Where's our heart? So guys, let's get practical. Let's get practical. As we examine ourselves, we need to be ready for whatever God shows us as the results of the test. You see, it, when you go to the doctor and he says, he sits you down after your exams and he says, you, you need to do something about this cholesterol. It's way too high. And so he says, you know, I can, I can put you on medication here and, and it'll... It'll take care of that. Or, or you can start to do something to change what you're doing. You can, you can adjust that yourself. You can maybe 
you know, adjust your diet. You know, raise up that activity level. Uh, you know, get more exercise. Let's see how that works. You can do something to change those numbers, to change those things in your life. But we need to be ready for whatever God says is the, is the remedy for the spiritual condition that we find ourselves in. If, if that test comes back a failing grade, we need to get back in the book. Amen? We need to get back studying. See, we, need, we, we should want to glorify God more and more in our lives. And one caveat. We're told to examine ourselves. We're not told to examine our neighbor or our friend or the person who sits next to us at church. We're told to examine ourselves. I, I, I found this... Uh, little example of uh, the, the effects of sin. It says, how does a worm get inside an apple? Perhaps you think the worm burrows in from the outside. But scientists have discovered that the worm actually comes from the inside. But how does he get in there? Simple. An insect lays an egg in the apple blossom. Sometime later, the worm hatches in the heart of the apple, and then it eats its way out. It eats its way out. Sin, like that worm, begins in our hearts, and then it works its way out through our thoughts, through our words, through our actions. Okay, we've gone through the test. We've gotten practical with it. What do we do now? What do we do? We're, we're, we're not anywhere near where God wants us to be, but hopefully we're moving in the right direction. Some of us are in different places in a relationship with the Lord. Some of us have, you know, mostly good numbers on that blood test, and some of us have a lot of... A lot of, lot of things to, to do. You know, when, when you go to get your car fixed, sometimes they just say, you know, good, get your oil changed and, and we'll rotate your tires and everything is good. Or you'll get this big, long printout. <laughs> they give you printouts now from the auto guys, which I don't care for. And it shows you all the, thi- it shows you all the things that they want, they want to do to your car be- to get it, like, perfect. There's a big, long printout. They don't tell you how much all that's going to cost, but... All right, so, so we're not where we need to be, okay? But what do we do? What if there is something wrong with our hearts? What if we don't even have a relationship with the Lord? Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart, God says. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. How awesome is that? A heart transplant. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. A heart transplant. It's like getting a new engine in your, in your car. How, how awesome. God says, I will give you a new heart. It's a two-part process. We're going we're gonna to close up here soon. It's a two-part process. First, God gives us a heart transplant. He removes that hard heart and He puts in a new, soft, pliable, moldable, teachable heart. He, we're born again. We're born again. When we, whoever raised their hand or walked up at an altar call or in the quiet of their room or wherever you are, whoever gave themselves to the Lord has received a new heart, a new birth, a new creation, it says in 2 Corinthians 5. We are a new creation. Old things have passed away. That old heart has been taken out. New things, all things have become new. He puts into us a new heart so that He can shape it. He can mold it. Because our old hearts were hard. Hardened. They were stone. They weren't receptive to the things of God. It was all about us before God gives us a new heart. And then the second part of this heart transplant operation. You see, because once He gives you a new heart, then you need to be empowered to live. You need to be empowered to do all those other things as you examine yourself. You can't do it on your own. You need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in you. Remember in, in verse 27 of uh, Ezekiel 36:27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk. By His Holy Spirit, He causes us to walk in His statutes. We need to allow Him to do that. We need the Holy Spirit within us, leading us and guiding us. Now, as an unbeliever, we will never be able to please God because we don't have His Spirit within us, leading us and guiding us. Our motivation for anything that we do as an unbeliever is not to glorify God. It's to glorify ourselves. But even as believers, we can't do this on our own. So, as I, as I ask the worship team to come up, I'm going to give, I'm going to give a challenge, not only to believers, but first to to those who have not received that heart transplant. For anyone who has not received the heart of flesh that God wants to give you, if today was a day that you looked into your heart and you saw a heart of stone because you're not motivated by the things of God. 
I'd like for you to come up and we're going to pray. We're going to pray right now for a heart transplant. We're going to pray right now for you to receive a, a heart of flesh that then God may be able to start to mold you. That he may be able to start to work with you and cause you to walk in his ways. So uh, if, if these guys are ready, if the, if the worship team is ready, we're going to go through a chorus of the, of the song. Come on, come up for your heart transplant. Let's pray. Mm-hmm.